Hello, and welcome to episode two of Edgework. I'm doing things a little differently this time. I, uh, I am a, a believer in the iterative approach, it, iterative, however it's pronounced. The idea that in order to get to a, a, a good state of quality, you got to just start somewhere. And as you repeat the process, try to improve as you go. You don't necessarily have to improve every time. But I think the main idea is to not to get too caught up in trying to do it right the first time. Uh, because generally speaking, you're, you're probably not going to. Um, so, one of the changes, I, I got a new microphone. Uh, the last episode was recorded on my iPhone, which came out sounding okay, actually. It wasn't that bad, but I, I think this might be an improvement. You can let me know. Uh, tweet me, which brings me to the next update. I have a Twitter account now, Edgework Podcast. Incidentally, I've just realized I haven't introduced myself. My name is Kevin, uh, but you can get me at Edgework Podcast on Twitter. Um, another change, I'm, I'm writing show notes ahead of time for this episode. I, I wrote out a basic outline. Uh, hopefully that'll that'll keep me a little more on track, It'll give me a, a, a better idea of, of where the show might go and maybe prevent me from rambling on, on too many tangents. Uh, let's see. Uh, some, some, uh, another improvement or another change rather is I think I'm going to start doing follow-ups, uh, per episode to, to cover some of the things from the last episode, uh, either to make corrections or to expand on different topics. Um, right now, uh, to start, I wanted to go over quickly the five main fields of philosophy again. Last time I forgot one, I forgot epistemology which is an important one. Uh, it's, a, it's a big field. It deals with truth questions. Uh, questions like, is there truth? Is anything objectively true? If, if there is, can we know what it is? If we can know what it is, do we know what it is? Uh, it, it's, it's a pretty big topic and, and pretty fundamental. Um, you can get around questions of truth in, in most analysis, but it's still worth, worth touching on. Uh, again, the other fields of, of philosophy, as they're, as they're generally... Uh, categorized are ethics, aesthetics, metaphysics, and logic. Um, one thing I'd like to hear from you about, a couple things actually, if you want to tweet me or, or email me, contact at edgeworkpodcast.com. I'd love to, to get feedback from, from anyone listening. Right now I think there are like uh, two of you <laughs> that I know of, um, which, you know, that's not a bad start. Uh, but if you want to talk to me, uh, get in touch and, and let me know if you have any, any complaints, if the sound quality sucks, if I ramble too much. If you have any particular topics you'd like me to cover, any particular guests you would like me to try to get on the show. Uh, also, if you have any tips about how to get guests on the show. Uh, the, first, the first guest I asked on was Noam Chomsky. Uh, I, like to, I like to start big, you know. It was very ambitious of me, I think. Uh, he declined, but he left the door open. So I'm going to check back with him in a couple months. He basically said he's not accepting engagements for, for the immediate future. Uh, busy guy, no doubt. Um, I also asked uh, John Ronson yesterday via Twitter. He, he hasn't gotten back to me. Also a busy guy. I, I, I don't even know if he saw my tweet, so who knows. Uh, but I think he would be cool to have on as well. If I get Chomsky on, what I'd like to talk about is linguistics. Uh, Ronson is a guy who, who fits the, the edge work ethos, I think, very well. He's a journalist. Uh, podcaster, uh, writer of books, and he, he tends to cover um, really edge work. I mean, it's, it's sort of his bread and butter. I don't, I don't know that he 
is familiar with the term or that he's ever referred to it that way. But, you know, he covers unusual things. Uh, the occult, extremism, uh, cultural fringes, things like Bohemian Grove with, with Alex Jones, um, terrorist training camps. There's really just a broad variety. Bespoke porn is one that I heard him talking about recently on, on the Joe Rogan experience. Uh, so yeah, he, he, I think would be a very appropriate guest for, for this show. Um, but Chomsky, uh, I'd like to get on to talk about linguistics, considerably less extreme, less bizarre. Um, but a lot of people don't know about Chomsky. He's known for his political rhetoric, but, uh, and analysis and, and commentary, but he's actually, uh, originally was, was famous in the academic world for, for his work in linguistics. And specifically, I, I think it was generative grammar, might've been universal grammar. I, I tend to get those mixed up, but uh, it's essentially some some theories surrounding the fundamental unit of language. Uh, it starts with the premise that there that there may be a uh, a unit of language, sort of an atomic unit, that forms the basis for all known human languages. Uh, one of the recent approaches is the is a model or or a program of thought called principles and parameters, uh, which essentially is the idea that there are principles underlying every language and uh, sort of a a matrix of parameters that when switched or toggled on or off uh, can sort of cascade into all the, the languages that exist and, and could reliably predict any other language. This is uh, actually what I initially contacted him about years ago. I have a, I have a theory about it. Um, the theory, I don't know if it makes sense. I'm not a, I'm not a linguist. There's plenty of background that I'm missing, a lot, a lot of very technical stuff. Um, a lot of high-level abstractions, but and low-level abstractions. But the essential idea is that every every utterance, every verbalization, I think, has in common a an intention to to state uh, a state of of isness. So, in other words, every every utterance is saying that something is, and everything else is just a different permutation of that. Um, for example. Some of the harder things to, to categorize within language and, and, and to, to dissect are things like uh, incidental utterances like shock or surprise or pain, uh, groaning, shouting, that sort of thing. And I think those are all, on a basic level, they're, they're just presenting the idea that a certain state is. If I, if I shout in pain, I'm saying that a state of pain is. If I, if I grunt in confusion, then I'm saying a state of, of misunderstanding is, etc. Uh, if I say something more complex, like a, like a full sentence, such as "Give me that pillow," then I'm I am implying that I uh, that there is a state of me wanting to lie down, you know, or or a state of you having a pillow and a reason for me to want for a reason for me to want the pillow. It, it's a little hard to explain quickly, but I, I think that gives you a rough idea of of what I'm getting at. Essentially, the fundamental unit that's present in all verbal utterances is a statement of a state of isness. And everything else is just a manifestation or permutation of increasingly complex uh, permutations of states of being. I don't know. That's the idea. But if I get Chomsky on, I'm not necessarily going to dig into that precisely. Uh, I don't think my little pet theories about uh, linguistics is necessarily the most interesting thing uh, to, to bat around with a world-class linguist. But what I would like would like to do is is to get his thoughts on what are what are the ideas of linguistics that are accessible to the general public to lay people who are not professionally trained. Um, I've read some of his academic work. He sent me some of his some of his talks. He was nice enough to do that and and, and his essays. 
as we discussed linguistics. And I have to say, it was not easy to keep up with, with what he was presenting in those discussions. Uh, there's a lot of background. And uh, again, for a layperson, it's a lot to keep up with. But anyway, the idea is uh, linguistics, professionally, academically, philosophically, is pretty far out on the edge in terms of day-to-day -day life. So it would be cool to bring, bring all of you out there to the edge and see what it's all about. So hopefully he'll have time to get on the show. Uh, but if you have any ideas for any other guests, uh, get at me. And if you have any tricks for how to get them on the show, that would be cool too. Because just tweeting at people and emailing people can only get you so far uh, before there's much brand recognition. Let's see what's next. Sam Harris would be cool to get on the show. Although I think he's the kind of guy I'd like to have uh, an agenda ahead of time with. He's certainly a great conversationalist, but um, he tends to have rather well-developed thoughts when I hear him talking with someone on his podcast, which makes me think that he's the sort of guy to sort of prepare in advance or to think ahead, uh, or at the very least, I should do so uh, to sort of match his style. Uh, again, not sure if it's feasible to get him on, but we'll see. Um, Spinoza. So last time I, I, I touched on Spinoza somewhat. I don't think I did a great job of, of explaining uh, his book Ethics and, and, uh, and what it's about. Um, and rather than get into all the details, what I'd like to do is just quickly read the table of contents to give you a rough idea of the scope of that book. It's a five-section book. Uh, section one is called Concerning God. The subsections are Definitions, Axioms, Propositions, and Appendix. I won't read you all the subsections for every chapter, but that'll give you a rough idea of how each section is broken down. Second section is on the nature and origin of the mind. Uh, section three, on the origin and nature of the emotions. Section four, of human bondage or the strength of the emotions. Section five, of the power of the understanding or of human freedom, which I think presents the idea that... Uh, Freedom is dependent on rationality, and through rationality we can circumvent the passions, the passions being the source of human suffering. Incidentally, of human bondage, I just realized there's a book by uh, W. Somerset Mom with that name. Must be where that came from. Interesting. Uh, Jordan Peterson. So I was, I was listening to, re-listening to Jordan Peterson on the Joe Rogan Experience he had a lot of interesting stuff to say. Um, it's a fascinating dude. He would be great to get on the show. Excuse me. Um, he was on the Sam Harris podcast waking up, uh, I believe, twice. And they, they had some disagreements. They, they don't seem to be simpatico philosophically on, on much of anything. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of overlap, but they, they were uh, more uh, on the topic of their disagreements. That's sort of where Harris was 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 leading the conversation. Um, one of the one of the ideas that they touched on quite extensively was pragmatism, uh, as espoused by, I think William James was, is probably the most famous pragmatist. Uh, I think Pierce might be the progenitor to James's pragmatism, but. Uh, Loosely, the idea of pragmatism, it's, it's within epistemology, uh, which we discussed earlier. And it's, it's, a, it's a method of, of trying to ascertain uh, truth, truth values. How do we determine what is true? 
and it's it's often attacked on I think baselessly for the most part. I think I think a lot of the criticisms of pragmatism are really just misunderstandings of the point of pragmatism, which is easy. To, it's easy to make a, a, a false impression of of pragmatism as a philosophy because it's it's confusing and because it's misrepresented a lot. I think a lot of people don't get it themselves, even when they are proponents of it. So, you know, it's sort of uh, sort of like an inverted straw man, where somebody accidentally sets up the wrong argument on their side. And that argument is easily dissected and defeated uh, without actually touching on the underlying tenets of, of pragmatism itself. But to get more to the point, the idea of pragmatism is that uh, the truth value of a thing is dependent on its usefulness. Uh, which is, I think the, the easiest way to misinterpret that, that's very common, is, is a lot of people seem, seem to be under the impression that it's assigning truth values based on the usefulness of a doctrine or belief or idea. But it's, it's not really the case. What pragmatism is doing is starting from the premise that we may not be able to know definitively what is true and what isn't. And so the vector by which we can analyze truth of something is to see how well it fits as a model. Uh, uh, in much the same way the scientific theory works, um, the scientific method, rather. You, you have to start from a place of not knowing, and you, you form hypotheses or, or approaches that may be suitable, that you're not necessarily sure if they're suitable, and then you test them. The things that are more reliable and, and more reliably predictive and explanatory for real-world phenomena are more likely to be true, and in this sense they have a higher truth value. Uh, and that, and that's what's meant by usefulness. It's it's not this notion of of sort of simplistic day to day shallow usefulness, uh, which which of course has very little if anything to do with with truth. Um, but that's a another bigger topic that that I I think I would need to do a fair amount to prepare for before uh, getting into too much detail, and certainly before debating anyone. Um, but something, something to think about, something worth looking into if you're curious. William James was a fascinating guy. Uh, he was, if I remember correctly, a psychologist, philosopher, and doctor. Uh, his brother, Henry James, was, if I'm not mistaken, a Victorian novelist. I I'm not, might, might be getting my errors wrong, but a novelist nonetheless. Um, James is an interesting guy. I, I have a book that I've never finished. It's a great book called Thematic Origins of Scientific Thought, and it covers James in one chapter. It's a fascinating book um, that sort of covers ideas in science uh, and, and where they come from, themes and ideas in science and, and uh, things that make their way into theories. And it's sort of highlighting, uh, maybe maybe just through subtext, the notion that Theories and, and models are only that. They're, they're only models. And things that we take for granted in scientific theories uh, are not always as, as cut and dried as they appear to be. Uh, atomism is a good example. Um, the, the, the idea of indivisibility, which we can find originally, I think, in ancient Greece. Uh, and we find it recurring throughout scientific history. I mean, technically speaking, atoms aren't even atomic, because atom means indivisible. When we discovered atoms, we were under the impression that we had found the fundamental unit of matter, and that it was indivisible. As it turns out, it, it is divisible, and it is made up of more fundamental units uh, of matter. 
Of course, atoms are elemental, so in that sense, depending on where you draw the line, you, you could consider it the, the fundamental unit, but that's getting in the weeds a bit. Uh, point being, examining the examining the uh, thematic elements of scientific and philosophical theories can, can give us a lot of perspective. And I think perspective is really what it's about when we're analyzing topics in science or philosophy, which, again, are, are basically the same thing. Um, a lot of it comes down to perspective. Perspective informs opinion. The way I think of philosophy is, is a system for, for digging in to, to uh, describe and analyze implications and limitations. Those are, those are the two big ones that I think philosophy is really all about. Of a given argument, what are its implications and its limitations? Uh, and it's a practical field. A lot of people think of philosophy, they just think of ancient Greece. Um, certainly that we owe a lot to ancient Greece culturally, scientifically and philosophically and artistically and lots of other ways. But it's an active field. There are, there are people contributing to it every day. There are a number of professional and technical disciplines that are heavily intertwined with philosophy, among them uh, computer engineering, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, the legal legal studies of various kind, law, very very closely related to to philosophy, um, medical ethics. There there are really just a number of of different fields that are that are closely related to philosophy, and in a sense, every field is indirectly related to philo to philosophy. There's a phenomenon that's interesting on Wikipedia. Uh, you can Google it. It's called something like uh, "getting to philosophy." Wikipedia. If you Google that, it should bring you to it. But the idea is that something like 98% of the articles on Wikipedia, if you follow the first link in the article, and then follow the first link in that article, and then whatever that links to, follow the first link there, you'll eventually get to the philosophy article. And uh, that's really cool. It's really interesting. And it highlights two things, I think. The first thing it highlights is that philosophy really is that fundamental to all domains of, of knowledge. I mean, the word philosophy just means lover of wisdom, loosely. We can get into the, the definition of the different types of, of love, the different words in, in Greek, but if I remember correctly, it's philos and sophia, which mean love and wisdom. Philosophy is, is love of, of, of wisdom or an affiliation with knowledge. Uh... So it makes sense that every field would, would be indebted in a sort of systematic way, hierarchically, back to the, the, basic, the basic field, which is philosophy. It's the, it's the fundamental, it's, it's the font from, from which all the rest of it springs. So that's the first thing that I think it, it highlights, this, this Wikipedia phenomena. The other thing is, is it highlights the, the structural validity of the Wikipedia articles. It really... It really says a lot about the people who spend a lot of time trying to build high quality pages because you know they've they've got good enough linking systems that the the structure of knowledge itself is revealed back to its most fundamental sources through just clicking links on a website which is very cool very very cool I had some other stuff I wanted to talk about I actually recorded a version 1 of this of this episode yesterday I covered a lot more topics and went on quite a bit longer, but it was almost incoherent at times. I, I was on a fair amount of Benadryl. I've had a cold for a couple of weeks, and I think that kind of interfered with my uh, uh, lucidity to some extent. So I'm going to wrap this up here. Uh, this is a brief episode. Um, hopefully you have some 
some uh, some things to think about. Again, please reach out to me through Twitter or email or whatever at Edward, Edgework Podcast on Twitter or contact at edgeworkpodcast.com. And uh, let me know what you think. Give me thoughts. Give me questions. Give me guest ideas. Or not. Uh, but that's a wrap for now. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you on the flip side.